Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Grielmo. When Eliza Clark was tapped as showrunner for the FX on Hulu series, Why the Last Man, she knew fans of the popular comic book series that the show is based on would have high expectations. But she also knew the 20-year-old story needed some updating. For Clark, that included rethinking how we talk about and think about gender. Why the Last Man, for those of you who don't know the story, is about a worldwide event that kills everyone with a Y chromosome. The show is about what takes place after, with a cisgender man and a capuchin monkey working to unravel the mystery. Earlier this week, Clark announced on Twitter that while the show wasn't renewed for a second season by FX, she's committed to finding it a new home. For now, you can stream the first eight episodes, which were all directed by women and includes a cast led by the amazing Diane Lane. And listen in to hear Clark talk with me about what it was like to imagine a world run by women. It's not what you expect. So I want to start with um, your background with the material. You, you've read the comic books and you were a fan. So let's talk about that. I read the comic books in 2009. Um, a person that I was working with gave them to me because he had read my plays and he thought I would like them. And that, and then I married that person <laughs> later. So it was the first gift my uh, husband ever gave me. Um, and I loved it when I read it back then. But that was, you know, my first job in television. So at that point in my career, there was no world where I was going to be the one who adapted it. You know, we don't want to give spoilers away, but what is Why the Last Man about? And tell our audience, perhaps people who haven't read it or haven't seen the show yet, give us the premise of the story. So it's about a worldwide event that kills everyone and everything, every mammal with a Y chromosome uh, suddenly, instantaneously. Um, and the show is about what takes place after. Um, and there's one cisgender man and one capuchin monkey who survive. <laughs> um, and it's sort of their journey across the United States to figure out what happened um, why and how to fix it. So it's an interesting premise, which I think is why lots of people resonated with the, the comic books when they first came out. What if women ran the world? <laughs> but this is a story about women inheriting a world that highlights the lack of women in roles that would require the infrastructure of the world to run. And I think it's something that you've talked about in other interviews. So I am interested in your take on that. Okay, so the most, you know, the male population with the exception of one man and a capuchin monkey named Ampersand, which I think is a great name, <laughs> survive. And so the women have to inherit the mess, the aftermath. And so what are some of the things that you noticed or thought about and you're showing in the, in the series about what, what actually happens when women get to pick up the pieces and start to run the world? I think first, it's probably um, interesting to talk about the difference between the comic book and the show, because I think because the comic book was written 20 years ago, it came out in 2002 and it ran until 2008. Um, it very much was that, you know, what if women were the only ones left? Um, 
part of what my adaptation does is update sort of our understanding of gender diversity. So it's clear very early that York, who is the last cisgender man, like is not the last man on earth, that there are men left. Um, everybody with a Y chromosome dies, which includes trans people, it includes cis men, it includes intersex people, but the same is true of the survivors. And so our discussion of gender, I think, is a little bit more nuanced than, than the, that question of like, what would happen if women ran the world? At the same time, you know, women are definite, cis women are definitely in the uh, majority in this apocalyptic landscape. And, um, you know, I think that part of what I love about the book is that it takes that premise of like, you know, if women were uh, in charge, there would be peace and says, no, women are people and people are flawed. And there would be all kinds of different um, responses to this kind of event. So, you know, I mean, I think the problem is A, there's in an intense amount of gender inequality in lots of professions right now. And that was true in 2002 and it's still true. You know, the examples are, you know, tr there's like 95% of truck drivers are men. Um, and so I, you know, I learned a ton about the way that our economy works. Um, the fact that we have a just in time economy. So there's just no, um, there's no storage. There's no preparation for the future. Um, we, you know, a city would run out of food in three days without deliveries from trucks. You know, I, I think that, um, the American economy and the American political system has a really interesting way of not preparing for anything in the future. Your analogy or your discussion about trucking is completely prescient because that is what is literally happening in the United States and, and around the world today. In the UK, they have a massive shortage of truck drivers because of Brexit and a lot of the truck drivers were um, evicted from the country, if you will, that labor shortage. And in the US, um, goods are sitting on docks and in ports because the trucking industry is facing this chronic shortage of drivers for very different reason than an apocalyptic, you know, episode at the chromosome level. But nonetheless, it's it's we're seeing it today. This is why goods are not being delivered to stores. So, and you know, I mean, it's not that I don't think that women uh, are capable of doing things. Like I, I think we are, <laughs> but I think the way that the country and the economy and the world has been designed, I mean, you see it with climate change, like we're just in denial about the fact that um, it's here, it's happening now. And we're all, uh, you know, there's natural disasters occurring much more frequently and the weather is um, sort of terrifying. And we keep thinking about like, either it doesn't, you know, either it doesn't exist or it's a far off problem, which is ridiculous because it does exist and it's here now. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a little bit what the show is, is trying to kind of illustrate with its world building that, you know, the power grid, the, you know, our infrastructure and the way that our economy works to maximize money and um, to, yeah, I, I think is, um, is short-term thinking and leaves the survivors of this type of event uh, woefully kind of unprepared for what comes next. Well, and it's also a reminder that what keeps our systems together is people 
agreeing to keep the systems together. And when you're in crisis or facing a food shortage or you know you can't get access to water or heat or electricity, that people unfortunately revert to a more primitive way of survival. And that's obviously highlighted uh, very seriously in the show. One of the things that's interesting that I hope is interesting about the show and the beginning of the series, the first couple of episodes are scary and sad because a really terrifying thing happens and a really tragic thing happens. Um, But uh, over the course of the season, things change pretty dramatically. And some people have obviously, you know, reverted into a violent uh, kind of me first mentality, but there are communities that we're going to see in this season that aren't like that um, and that are existing in a different way. So I think it, it is ultimately different from your uh, regular apocalyptic story because of the sort of makeup of the survivors. You talked about how the series is different from the book, but one thing I wanted to ask you about is that it, the original had a sense of humor to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a full disclosure, I've watched the first three episodes, so I don't think I've gotten to the humor yet. <laughs> but you tell me, what was your approach to the quirkiness? You know, it is humor. It's quirky. Mm-hmm. What was your take on that and your view of bringing that into the series? I love the humor of the book and I love um, humor generally, especially dark humor kind of in the face of, you know, overwhelming stakes. Like that's sort of the, the genre that I like the most. But the book's protagonist is this central, you know, last man and he's kind of a a messy guy and he is um, he's an escape artist and he you know can't pay his rent and he's sort of you know he's a little bit of a slacker um, and I think like the book takes is able to create this idea of like you know not if you're the last man on earth <laughs> um, and take this kind of anti-hero and find a lot of humor in that you know the show is about identity and about how systems of oppression uh, conspire to inform our identities that patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism don't die just because everyone with a Y chromosome dies and women uphold patriarchy. Um, and that's part of what we want to see is like characters who are clinging to some idea of who they were before this happened and thinking that there's a way to put the world back together in the way they recognize. And over the course of the season, it becomes very clear that it, it we can't go back. Um, and so as things begin to change, I think that's where a lot of the quirkiness and humor comes in. Um, I will say one of the things that I love about it, um, well, I love Diane Lane, who becomes the president. I don't think that's a spoiler <laughs> there. And she is, as a working mother, she mm-hmm. embodies pragmatism to me because people are like, oh, we should save artwork at the museum, at the Met, or some of the other things that that people want to save. And she's like, no, 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 <laughs> like yeah. screw that. We're going to focus on people first, which is a very pragmatic approach to prioritizing your resources and what to do. Um, you have said wonderful things about having Diane 
Lane in the series and other interviews, and I want you to say them here again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Diane Lane is a dream come true. She is like a, the most amazing, most talented and generous actor there is. And so she, um, you know, she was a, an incredible leader um, and collaborator. And yeah, I mean, I, I think her character is really interesting because it's because women in positions of leadership, it's it's just more complicated um, than it is when you have a male president. Um, and part of that is because, you know, her children on the show um, are have a lot of problems. And I think, you know, a lot of problems that she gets blamed for. She's also an ambitious person, somebody who has always wanted to become president. And finally, she gets what she wants, but in the worst circumstances. Um, and because her son survives, which makes sort of her ripe for conspiracy theories in an already kind of conspiratorially minded populace, um, she has to kind of hide his existence, which puts her in a really morally gray area. So yes, she's incredibly pragmatic when it comes to saving people's lives. And I think if York had not survived, she would be like, a you know, a 100% great president. But the fact that her son survives actually makes her make choices um, that are complicated. And that's what I think is just so interesting about her. Um, but I also would love for her to be my president right now. <laughs> Okay, well, that's a different uh, topic of discussion for a different day. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, um, you've said that you didn't intend, but that that the episodes were directed by women, but that wasn't your intention. It just turned out that way. Uh, I, I was reading some of your commentary about the female gaze, and I was like, well, what does that mean? And it was how you shot and the kinds of visuals you use. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I wanted, I really wanted this, you know, we've all seen apocalyptic stories, um, especially recently in the last 10 years. And um, I wanted something that felt different. Most apocalyptic shows are about, you know, it's not the zombies who are monsters, it's, it's other human beings, like that humans are the real monsters. I think that this show does not have that point of view, um, that it that systems of oppression are the monsters, uh, but but anyone can be a part of the problem and anyone can be a part of the solution. Which brings me to the female gaze, which is, you know, what is different about this show? And I mean, I think it's the makeup of the survivors. It's a gender diverse group, but it is women led. And, um, you know, so I think we made a very concerted effort behind the scenes to make uh, a more diverse group uh, of makers. Um, we have most of our department heads were women. All of our directors were women. Uh, the majority of our writers were women. So we talked about the female gaze a lot because I wanted to make sure that all of the intimacy, nudity, violence, all of that was born from character and was not treated in the way that all things have been treated since the beginning of time, which is like, through this male uh, perspective where women's bodies are objectified. And I, I, the reason I say it was an accident is because it wasn't like, well, you know, this is the mandate. It was like, oh, let's find the people who can speak to this experience. And I, you know, that turned out to be women. Um, but the female gaze on our show, we decided is, you know, subjectivity, detail, and point of view so that you're feeling what the characters are feeling. And you're noticing the kinds of things 
um, that we notice dirt under fingernails, sweat, hair, the roots of hair, you know, that, but anyway. No, I think that's good. And I'm sorry, I even had to ask you that in 20 years, I hope the idea that a show is mostly written by women and directed by women and art directed and costumed. It's like, yeah. nobody ever says, oh my gosh, those were all guys, right? Like, like that we don't even have to have this conversation. Well, except no, but at the same time, like, I, I don't want to pretend that that wasn't different. I mean, I've never worked in a, in a situation like that. So yes, I, let's hope that in 20 years, that's not, we don't have to have that. We don't have to celebrate that in any way, but um, because that's, you know, the standard, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a totally different way of working. I wanted a really collaborative um, environment and I think it was that. Uh, the name of this podcast is I'm So Obsessed. What are you obsessed with? Uh, I am obsessed right now with um, the woman who lived in my house before me. Um, when we moved in, we started putting um, plants in the garden and we dug up 125 dead cats. And so I'm very interested <laughs> in her and what she was doing what she was doing for this. I think she actually loved them. I just think she had too many, but that is something that I'm currently obsessing about. Yeah. Do you, do you have pets? <laughs> I, we did, we had a dog who died. Um, I don't think the dog was killed by cat ghosts, but you know, I can't be, I can't be sure. <laughs> the, 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 um, the energy of this place is I think very positive. So I think she maybe had more than she, um, she she bit off more than she can chew maybe in the cat department but I think she loved them anyway it was pretty wild to like move into a house and have a pet cemetery underneath them uh, I would say that sounds like a story except I think it has been a story so there you go yeah. um I wanted to ask you a question just about the where we are in entertainment the past few years have put a focus and shown a light on the, the need, not just the talk for diversity and inclusion. And your show uh, really represents uh, a massive step forward. I mean, there've been some efforts over the past year that have been called out Bridgerton on Netflix and what that did, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera. What is your view of the environment and uh, the issues of diversity and inclusion? Again, not just behind the camera, but in front of it as well. Do you see that? there's been progress made. Are you happy or a couple of things? I mean, I had really great partners. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply in creating that environment. You know, two of our executive producers, Mary Jo Winkler, who is like, um, has been at the forefront of green productions and she is an incredible creative producer, but she's also a person who has like written the rule book on how to have a, um, you know, an environmentally aware green production. And we had the most green production that I've ever worked on, which is difficult in COVID especially. And I think if, had there not been COVID, it would have been even better. Um, 
And then, and Nina Jacobson, who works at Color Force, and she has talked a lot about, um, you know, it's not enough to just make political art. You want to make art politically. To me, diversity and inclusion, I think sometimes gets like perverted by institutions, you know, just putting people in, in jobs is not, that's not really enough. I mean, and also you have to really value the perspectives that you're getting. Um, I feel like I benefit immensely from having a diverse group of writers, a diverse group of directors and people behind the scenes, because this is a show that has a lot of different perspectives in it. And, you know, I believe that writers can write things that are not about them specifically, but you can, things only get better when you have more voices in the room. Uh, these are going to be lightning round questions now because we're running out of time to talk to you. Um, what is your favorite piece of technology? Uh, I mean, I, I, I love and hate my iPhone. Well, it is the remote control for your life. So I, I get that. <laughs> if you could have a piece of technology that was invented just for you, what would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, the ability, <laughs> the ability, um, to know if another person likes me <laughs> to like scan another person and be like, okay, they look, they're, they're into this. So, so maybe like a thermal map that shows warm yeah, yeah. feelings or cold <laughs> feelings before you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can I ask why? <laughs> you know, I think that's, that's, it, you know, and I think probably my therapist would be like, um, it's none of your business what other people think of you. Um, so maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe it would be like a, a chip in my brain that when I was thinking, uh, does this person like me or not? The chip would remind me it's none of your business, whether other people like you. Or you know, I'm, I was socialized female. That's my, this is why, this is why. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair. It's the first time I've ever heard anything like that. So I'm props for originality and creativity. Thanks again to Eliza Clark for talking with me. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe.
All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. And really good luck with the show. Uh, Why Last Man Standing is FX on Hulu. Season one is out for you to binge watch. And I am sure based on the material that you're feeding off of that there will be subsequent series and episodes, seasons of this show coming forward because that's a lot of story to unpack in one series. I hope we have more. I have, I hope we have more seasons. All right. Well, thank you again. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks so much. Rebecca, are we good? Yep. All good. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And yeah, good luck with the story and good luck with, with all of it. I think uh, I'm, I, like I said, I'm into up to season, I mean, episode three. So I'm, I'm waiting for the humor to kick in. It's coming. It's coming. You just need a couple more episodes. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I didn't want to ask you about putting the show out during COVID times because I think that's kind of self-evident though. Uh, yeah. Whatever our new normal is, we just have to move past it. But um, yeah, I think it's it's super interesting um, how people react to it and what they take away from the show. So good luck with it and come back and talk to us anytime. We'd love okay, to. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Hey, Connie, just